Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. Today, we're going to talk about another company in the SaaS space who has some excellent recurring revenue, I think is very undervalued. That company is HubSpot. And on the show today, I have a former and actually future HubSpot employee who just signed on. Everybody, please give a warm welcome for Hayden Hawksmayer. Hayden, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. I'm excited to be here. Excited to have you. So HubSpot, $6.3 billion market cap. Last year did about $675 million in revenue, trades at nighttime sales. This is another one where, just like ServiceNow, from the last podcast, you actually had recommended this stock to me quite a long time ago. Uh, from 2016 on, it went from 32 bucks to about 145 now. Four and a half bagger uh, has really performed extremely well. Um, so one of those stocks that's just crushed it the last couple of years. Uh, you know, before this, we were kind of texting back and forth over uh, this little chart they have in their 10K that just shows how HubSpot stock has outperformed the NASDAQ 100 and S&P by a factor of three or four. So it's pretty spe- spectacular growth, I'd say. Yeah. Um, and I actually started in 2016. So I was there for, uh, for kind of that whole rocket ship uh, time. Definitely. Must have been a, a good time to join, I'm sure. It was. So I want to start off by asking you about what HubSpot really does. And to me, from looking at some of their investor presentations, the core of it seems to be uh, CRM, so customer relationship management. I hear that word being thrown around a ton. I'm sure a lot of investors have heard about it. And there's a lot of smoke and mirrors about what it actually means. So I, I'd like to hear your take on on what is CRM and why do customers need it? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, I think, because CRM kind of encompasses a lot of things now when investors or companies talk about it. Um, at its core, CRM or customer relationship management software was started in the late 80s. And essentially, at first, was just a Rolodex for salespeople to track their potential sales leads, contacts, and then current customers. Um, some of the early players were Oracle, in which Mark Benioff came from, and, and then, of course, started Salesforce, which we all know now. Um, but what a CRM is today is kind of a cornerstone piece or a keystone piece in the front office of a, any business. Um, and what that means is that is tracking all records with customers. So everything from an email I may have sent to a customer to the contract they're on all the way down to things like, have they stopped by our website? Right. Um, so essentially it's a centralized location for sales support, um, anyone who engages with customers to find all the data that they would need to have a conversation or, you know, figure out who this customer is. Definitely. And I think what's kind of interesting here is CRM actually is a free product from HubSpot right now. And it seems to be like the name is kind of derived from all the different hubs that circle around CRM. So uh, yeah, I want to follow up by asking you why is CRM free and why would anyone pay for the other services HubSpot offers around CRM? Yeah, it's actually a funny story as to why CRM initially is free. Um, so a lot of people don't know this HubSpot was funded by Salesforce initially. And in their initial partnership, HubSpot was not allowed to sell a CRM product. Um, So what HubSpot initially did was create a free CRM with add-ons that they called sales tools or the sales hub now that are paid for. 
So it's technically a free CRM with paid tools. What ended up happening, and, and this wasn't an accident really, but the free CRM allows companies, especially on the lower end of the market, smaller companies, to get access to basically value out of a free product. Um, so you still see a lot of companies that may be using things like you know, Google Spreadsheets or Excel Docs to track their customers, how they engage with their customers. This allows them to move off of that and move into the HubSpot environment um, for free, right? So they've done a really good job of, and their freemium model, which we'll probably talk about a bit, I think is structured very well in terms of taking the functionality that is basically like a commodity and making that free and then upselling people on additional value within the platform. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about early versions of how people do their own CRM, whether it's Google Sheets or something very, very basic. Uh, this is something I talked about with to Josh on on the latest podcast where you know, ServiceNow, a lot of what I heard it does, you know, I, I feel like I could roll out my own solution or, or do something very basic on my own. Um, but obviously, you know, these pre-built tools, uh, people get a lot of value out of them. So, you know, let, let's touch on what, what you said about, you know, people go from freemium to the upsell. What is really the, the thing that puts customers over the top from I'm willing to go from free to paying for something? Yeah, I think it, it really, it's an interesting question because it depends what product you're looking at in the product SKUs. Um, and it also depends what type of company it is. So we may, you may be working with a very small company who's never paid for anything like this before. And they are able to see value in the free product. Um, and then they do a really good thing like um, where they gate features of the paid products and maybe allow you some of that functionality and then cut you off. Um, an example of that would be ways on the sales side to basically accelerate or automate sales practices. Um, things like email sends or, you know, notifications when someone's on your website, things that people will get value out of very quickly, um, and don't have to pay very much to, to see that value. Um, on the other end, you have companies that may have been using a solution like Salesforce for 10 plus years and don't want to necessarily pay upfront, you know, $30,000 um, with the risk of that being a change that, you know, ends up playing out poorly for the business. It allows them to actually migrate all their data into HubSpot, use the free part of the CRM, maybe bring over a couple people as almost a kind of like a trial and kind of basically get their feet wet with the product um, before they actually, you know, go full boat on the investment. Yeah, the two different customer types are interesting there. It, it seems like the spectrum kind of ranges from people who are willing to take that next step off from going from less sophisticated tools to more. And then the other end being people who are on a sophisticated tool set like uh, Salesforce but don't really need the all, all that functionality and don't want to pay 30 grand or whatever per year. HubSpot, from what I can tell in their investor presentations and then the conference calls, is very focused on this SMB set of, of businesses, so small and medium-sized businesses. That's really seems to be their sweet spot. So I, I'm sure on the sales side, you've seen a lot of success stories from both sides. So without kind of getting into names, what kind of success stories can you tell of customers who made that jump, whether it was going from less sophisticated to more sophisticated, or we had this really advanced set of tools we don't need. So now we're paying less for getting the functionality. So for customers who have made those upgrades, are, are you seeing big jumps in sales or are their businesses really taking off as a result of using HubSpot? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you can go on and look at any of the case studies on HubSpot, right? I think, um, you know, whether like a lot of HubSpot's success stories are centered around the marketing tool, um, just cause it's much easier. Like HubSpot makes it very easy. And, you know, you work in a Klaviyo, you understand this. 
to basically associate revenue with the product, right? Um, from a marketing standpoint. Um, so a lot of the, you know, really good success stories in the SMB space are companies that really weren't performing well, engaging their, you know, their target audience online um, and end up implementing a tool like HubSpot and seeing, you know, massive jumps in sales. Um, on the sales and the support side of things, and, and we can kind of dig into those the different, uh, different products there in a, in a bit, but it's really more about driving efficiencies. And especially if you're ripping and replacing a product, um, you're not necessarily getting different functionality per se than Salesforce, but it's going to be a different user experience. Um, and, and you may drive things like different efficiencies that are a little harder to quantify. Um, so I think the success stories on both ends are a little different. Um, whether, you know, it's ripping out a pre-existing solution versus adding a solution that wasn't already there. Yep. And, and the solutions I'm sure are very different depending on what the company is and what their specific problems are. I want to dive into what the different tools are that HubSpot offers, uh, depending on what your solution and, and use case is going to be. So, I found this product pricing page really interesting on the last investor deck. So there's the marketing hub, the sales hub, and the service hub. Um, we'll look at enterprise first. So on the, at the enterprise level, the marketing hub is 3,200 plus the sales hub is $1,200 plus and the service hub is also 1200 plus. These are uh, monthly subscription numbers. Um, so how much you pay each month. So what makes the marketing hub so much more expensive? Uh, and I guess you could start off by saying like, what are the differences between those three tools? And why would I need each one as a customer? Yeah, so it's, it's actually um, a really interesting, I mean, that page just really highlights how HubSpot has changed as a company over the past four years. Um, originally, when I started at HubSpot, it was a marketing app, essentially, that helped you get found by customers online and track those customers that were finding you better. Um, it also contained marketing automation. So, you know, email marketing, um, workflows around, um, you know, event triggers, things like that, right? So it was really a marketing-based tool. Um, in the crux of that marketing based tool, and you know, this from working at Clavio is a contact record, right? So how someone's engaging with our website, we're looking at someone as a unique person from a unique identifier of some, some kind. And that kind of naturally backed into a contact record in a CRM and how a salesperson would then engage with that, per, you know, that individual, right? Um, so originally it was just marketing hub. They then released the sales hub and, you know, on top of that, then release a service hub, which is really very similar to the sales hub. It's just geared towards customer success. Um, so like there's some slight tweaks there as you can imagine in terms of functionality. At the end of the day, their goal is to basically be, build a product that can be used by as many people as possible um, that doesn't require customization. So very different approach from like what Salesforce does or what ServiceNow does where they're super customizable products that you would a lot of times have to pay someone to build out for you. Um, so that's kind of long winded, but to kind of back into the question around like the different enterprise hubs and, and where they drive value. Again, this gets back into HubSpot identifying how to basically upsell people and upsell a company as it grows. So an example of differentiators between marketing pro and marketing enterprise is the ability to partition your marketing content by team. This would be applicable if you had multiple offices um, in different regions, maybe in different languages, right? Um, and you want to track all that data separately. You know, maybe it's you're tracking a different currency. Whatever you're doing, you want to partition that content or partition that data. 
that's naturally aligned with a larger company, right? Um, a company that will pay more for that product. There's also obviously different, different features across the board for all those tools, but essentially what they've done very well is allow for, as a company scales, every single different product here is a natural fit to move into. Definitely. And it's interesting that difference you mentioned between HubSpot and ServiceNow, where ServiceNow, even Josh was on the podcast, everything is customizable, whatever you need, you can tweak the tools, your developers can use the API to get what you need. HubSpot, it's more you walk into it and it's pre-configured for the solution you want. You, know, you, you mentioned a bit about the kind of international nature of it, whether it's a different currency or a different division in a different region. Uh, HubSpot's international growth, I, I think, has been pretty spectacular. You know, it's already kind of a, a 30% Kager type business um, you know, the last couple of years, 30% all in, but the international portion seems to be 40 or 50%. Um, is there something specific about HubSpot that's driving the international growth? Like why is this so popular outside the U.S.? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, when we look at, you know, whenever I had conversations or, or talk with people about kind of how things are working internationally, the businesses that we work with tend to be a couple years behind where businesses are in the U.S. in terms of adoption of some of these practices that HubSpot um, enables things like, you know, basic stuff like search engine optimization in the platform, um, kind of aligning sales and marketing so that salespeople have insight into marketing data and are able to use that for, you know, more curtailed sales outreach. Um, they're just a few years behind kind of where the U.S. is on that. And so they're kind of seeing a lot of the, the same adoption that they saw within the U.S. Um, and so it's, it's kind of natural that they're going to continue to, to keep growing that international space. Um, and, you know, they're, they're pushing pretty hard in, in APAC and in Europe and uh, in South America as well. Yeah, you can definitely see in the numbers. Um, I, this kind of leads me directly into my next question. So I was going to ask about customer retention. And one really interesting thing on HubSpot's financials is, you know, you see this total subscription dollar retention rate. That number can actually be over 100%. Um, meaning that in your existing base of customers, your monthly revenue is actually growing because they're doing things like expanding it to other parts of their business and you're upselling them. So the check they're writing each month is actually growing. So given the same base of customers, um, you're actually making more money. What's crazy about that too is uh, HubSpot's customer base is growing at the same time, right? It was 50,000 customers in 2018, over 70,000 in 2019. So there's clearly this incredible customer loyalty where people are not only just staying month to month and with very little term, but they're also uh, spending more money. So is there, you already have identified a couple of them, but um, why do people love HubSpot so much? Like there's the NPS score, you have this, this net promoter score metric, which basically is a proxy for, do you think the product is easy to use? How much do you like it is always consistently high. So like, what are that, what is it about this thing that really delights the user? Yeah, I think this is something that uh, is often lost when talking about HubSpot. Um, and, and, and I think it's, it's really interesting because HubSpot has built an exceptionally easy to use tool. Um, when we think about concepts like building out automated workflows, um, those tr typically or traditionally haven't been something that your average Joe Schmo can just pick up and do. Um, and I think when you look at Klaviyo, like that's a pretty easy tool to use, but you probably are going to be like a pretty savvy marketer when you get into that, right? If you are in that HubSpot enables the, you know, average person to run a small business and, and deliver pretty 
you know, detailed automation, whether that's marketing automation, sales automation, uh, things like lead rotation, it makes it really easy to do that. Um, and I think that's something that's like pretty easily lost, especially, you know, someone like yourself who's worked in software development or Josh, like some of this stuff doesn't seem that hard, right? And you can build it yourself and you say, what's the big deal if we need to connect these two tools? We can, you know, the, the APIs are pretty easy to use. Most people don't have that background and don't have the ability to do that. And I think that's why you really see the high NPS score. Um, when it comes to the revenue retention, that's just really a function of like, they've built a really good model when it comes to pulling people into higher tiers, right? Um, I think, you know, we can talk about this, but the, their next earnings call is going to be really interesting. Um, and I think, I think Q2 is going to be really interesting as well because there's a lot of different things going on on both like the, the lower end of their customer base, the smaller customers with COVID, as well as the higher end that, that'll be really interesting to see how they actually, what numbers they deliver. Yes, good, uh, good transition because the COVID yeah. thing, you know, this is, it's a central part of the blog I write and uh, kind of my, my weekly newsletter and this podcast as well. So I think the, the million dollar question for everyone when it comes to software as a service is how much churn are we going to see as a result of COVID? And you touched on it, you know, it's different for the lower tier customer than it is for the higher tier customer. But talk a little bit about how you see COVID impacting uh, HubSpot's entire customer base. And obviously, we know there's a, a variety of different customers. So it's not necessarily the same as it is for your average Joe who just joined versus a more enterprise type customer who's spending kind of the max in, in HubSpot's tiers. Yeah. Um, so I think what's in, we're going to find out a lot of interesting stuff on the next couple of earnings calls, but what's been very interesting to me in particular was HubSpot's CRM play really helped them build a moat um, and, and really basically lock in customers as this is going to be our front office solution. No matter the state of the economy, you need a CRM, right? Um, so the real question is like, who does churn? I think when you look at HubSpot's customer base, like the lower tier customers are going to be the, where you're going to see most of the churn. So customers that are paying 50 bucks a month, hundred bucks a month, um, they're kind of, you know, seeing some value out of these extensions, whatever it is, but you know, they're going to be looking at their software stack and saying, Hey, maybe, you know, we just laid off half the company. We don't need this stuff anymore, or we don't need the seats that we were paying for, you know, on the license basis. Right. At the same time, I think you also are going to have more larger scale companies um, take this kind of slowdown to reevaluate their tech stack and look at alternative solutions to the legacy systems they have in place. Um, so like, as you know, it's super hard to rip and replace a CRM system, really any system, but especially a system that you may have a large amount of people working in every day. Um, and as a salesperson, I can tell you that like salespeople aren't necessarily the smartest bunch in terms of adapting to change. Um, so if you've been working in a system for eight years, it's a pretty big deal when a new system is placed in front of you and, and it can have an impact on the, on the bottom line, right? Um, so I think now is kind of a very, you're going to see a lot of companies looking at this period of slowdown to implement new systems or to look at potentially implementing new systems. So on the high end, I think there's a potential opportunity. Um, the low end, I think you'll see some, uh, some churn and those will, and the small businesses will obviously be impacted more. Yeah, I think the question then becomes, is the high end's growth outweigh the, the lower end churn? I yeah. personally think the answer is yes, but we'll, we'll see, as you said, in the coming earnings calls. For businesses like ServiceNow and HubSpot, where the valuation for some people seems a little rich, right? It's nine or 10 times sales for both of them. It, it really rests on that 
can the company maintain 30% growth in the years going forward? To that end, I do want to talk a little bit more about some of the growth drivers. So HubSpot, from my look at the last earnings call and some of the financials, there, there's two kind of really interesting growth stories going on. Uh, one is the, the organic growth and another is M&A. So organic, we talked a lot about the ability to upsell customers, the different hubs coming online. Um, but the other big thing is in, for M&A, you know, HubSpot has a billion dollars in cash. Last year, it acquired a company called PySync. It describes PySync as a real-time intelligent customer data synchronization platform, <laughs> which is a mouthful, right? But um, let's talk about M&A. So I want to hear your thoughts on the PySync acquisition and also uh, you know, if we see HubSpot buying companies in the future, what that might look like and what the goals would be in acquiring PySync and companies like them. Yeah, so the PySync acquisition is really interesting. And essentially, um, buzzwords aside, PySync allows you, it basically allows for a platform to connect different pieces of software. Um, HubSpot's goal is to bring as much data into HubSpot as possible. Um, naturally, that helps with customer acquisition when you say, hey, I'm using this you know, random ERP system over here. How does that connect with HubSpot? Well, if there's not a native integration built, then you have to have one built. Ideally, what PySync is doing is allowing for you to connect that very easily, right? Um, that one helps you acquire more customers because it's easier for them to come on board. Um, it also allows you to retain more customers. And the idea is the more data that lives in HubSpot, the harder it is to replace again, right? Um, so that's kind of like the crux of the PySync acquisition in you know, how that will help drive net new business as well as help retain business. When we look at HubSpot's cash position, uh, about a billion dollars in the bank. There's definitely a potential acquisition coming up. I think it's, do they want to acquire, and this is going to be an interesting question to see how HubSpot moves forward. Do they want to acquire a additional front office or, or, or front office solution or something to add to their product mix in the front office? Or do they want to start to go towards the back office? And what that would mean is things like payment solutions, things like accounting systems um, that naturally pair with a CRM system, but don't live in HubSpot today or are connected through an integration today. Um, so I think that's a, that's an interesting play. Um, but they also could go the route of like, we're just going to continue to add to, you know, the front office product offering and acquire, you know, there's tons of companies out there that I think would be good potential acquisition targets. You look at companies like Gong or, um, you know, things that add to, the sales mix or the marketing mix. Like there's a, there's a, there's a lot out there obviously. Um, so I think they'll go one way or the other on that. Yeah. What you were talking about with the kind of customer vault angle, right? Like we want to own all of your customer data. We want to own a lot of the internals that drive the business. You, you can imagine other hubs that kind of build on this. What we didn't talk about was uh, the CMS hub, which I, I, I feel like I've seen less on earnings calls, but I do see when I go visit the website and we talked about CSM a little bit. Um, I actually wasn't meaning to ask about uh, CMS, but I do want to talk about like how that might relate to other interesting hubs to, to play in as well as like um, not only the M&A growth, but I think the, the internal growth is kind of crazy too. Like HubSpot, I think is 3,800 or so employees right now. And I think every time I'm LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn, I see more and more people getting hired by HubSpot. So I was going to ask you, um, all these additional employees that are moving in, 
are they working on new hubs or existing hubs? Uh, is it going to be very different from the, the kind of M&A targets you mentioned? So like what, what is HubSpot hiring for right now? Yeah, HubSpot's hiring for, um, they're really hiring to make their product offering as easy to use as possible. Um, and I think that's, that sounds very simple, but uh, they, they have like very huge teams focused on UI. Um, and when you look at the types of customers we go after, that's extremely important. Um, you know, people are used to clunky systems and kind of every day hating some aspect of it. It actually makes a pretty big difference when you can deliver a system that is very streamlined and easy to use. Um, the CMS, the content management system has come a long, long way. Um, so I actually just came from a company who built the entire platform, the, I mean, the entire website within HubSpot. We used uh, their marketing tools, their sales tools, their customer success tools, um, live chat, all of that just lived within HubSpot. And I think like you can imagine like the natural all-in-one aspect of this is, is very palatable for a small business, right? Or a mid-sized company who doesn't want to have to connect their website to their marketing automation tool, to their shopping cart, to their, you know, their CRM, right? One, they don't have the internal capabilities to do that and don't want to pay for it. Um, so that's really the, you know, kind of what is interesting about the CMS is that fully brings everything, your website, your marketing, your sales under one roof. Yeah. I think if you can go to one vendor and say, I can get it all from them versus having to glue a bunch of solutions together, it makes it way easier for a small to medium-sized business. And as you said, maybe that's why the UI development and ease of user experience makes so much sense. Because if the product is easy and delightful to use, you're, you're way more likely to stick with it for the next thing you need to do as opposed to evaluate other vendors. I think what what's uh, difficult right now, because like, I've tried to do this for various small kind of experiments that I've done, you know, when you look at like selling something, right, you have all these different options in terms of warehousing and distribution and how to list the product, how to do SEO, uh, how to do customer leads, things like that. So it's, it's a huge terrain, right, for, for picking what tools you want to use. Um, HubSpot seems to be competing very well in that kind of gigantic space. But um, I found it a little overwhelming in terms of all the different tools I have at my disposal as a, a small business. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, especially in the MarTech space, everyone says they do the same thing and, you know, do they, you don't really know, right? Um, it, it's hard to know. So I think like even from a customer standpoint, you know, working or, or having to deal with things like customer support or success when you have an issue and not having to call WordPress, you know, Yoast, uh, you know, Hootsuite and then Salesforce, like, like there's, you can build the HubSpot platform if you wanted with 25 different either free or paid solutions, right? Um, comes very hard to manage all those. Yeah, it's funny with the with SEO specifically, I had like a 20 minute call with one of my buddies last night just trying to figure out, yeah, I've been, you've seen it, I've been covering Chef Stock as part of uh, my blog and it's like, okay, why don't, why don't I show up when you search Chef Warehouse Stock? And there's like a million different knobs you can turn in order to, to figure that out. So you know, for people where SEO isn't a core competency, it's nice if you could just turn to something like HubSpot and say, okay, this is already in a, in a hub I can just turn on and I don't need to go and look at a different solution right. like Yoast or something for it. Right. Awesome. 
Well, we've gone uh, about time. So, it, you know, I've, I've, it's been great, like, having all these discussions about SaaS. I think SaaS, uh, HubSpot's obviously very different from ServiceNow, which is very different from some other companies I want to talk about in this podcast. So I think you've brought lots to the table in terms of, of talking about where the HubSpot sweet spot lies. Uh, anything else you want to talk about before we, we kind of part ways here? No, that's it. I'm, uh, I'm excited to see what happens in the, the next couple quarters. I think it's going to be uh, really interesting to see if, if they're able to, you know, kind of keep cranking here um, on that, you know, on that growth trajectory. Awesome, Hayden. It's been great having you on the show. Uh, I will uh, talk to you later. All right. Thanks a lot, Ben. Cool.